0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today, you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today.
1: For those of you I haven't met, I am Pastor John, the senior pastor here at Stonebridge. And Pastor Jonathan keeps mentioning this and keeps not telling the full story. Related to the incident of the kickball game last week, I want everybody to know that sources differ on if there was even a winner or not of that game. There were some technicalities that put the decision in question throughout the game. So historians will be debating for generations what actually happened on that night here at Stonebridge Community Church. By the way, I'm Pastor John. Welcome to Stonebridge. And I am a sore loser. So. That's our motto out of the church now. Come to Summer Olympics, though, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned, and you can watch me lose at other stuff, I'm sure, also, and debate that, too. This summer, we've been going through, Summer in the Cities, a sermon series looking at the Book of Acts, and looking at Paul's travels in the Book of Acts, where the Apostle Paul goes with his companions, and Paul's work devoted to the church. And today, I'll be reading from Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, as we continue in this sermon series, and I invite you to hear the Word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this word, and I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for having gathered us here this morning. We thank you that you've brought us here so that we can be shaped and formed by your word. We thank you that you've pulled us here together as a church community, Lord, so that we can grow together, so that we can live life together, so that we can lift up our voices to you together, lift up our prayers to you together, Lord. We thank you that you're the one who has brought us here. And as we gather here, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit now teaches us, that your Spirit fills this place And that we hear your word coming through clearly, Lord. Through the power of your holy scriptures, may your Holy Spirit guide us, sustain us, nourish us, and teach us now, Lord. So that we can best understand the work you did through Paul and the work you're doing through us today. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Acts takes us to Corinth this week. And if you were to go to the city of Corinth today, kind of called New Corinth at times, you would not be exactly where the ancient city of Corinth was. Because the ancient city of Corinth has a very long history with a lot of ups and a lot of downs. In fact, at least twice the city of Corinth was destroyed and then had to be completely rebuilt later. As far back as we know, human beings have been living in Corinth. All the written evidence we have says that as far back as we can go, people have been living in that region and in that area. And the city of Corinth grew and became one of the great cities in ancient Greece. When Rome and Sparta, not Rome, Athens and Sparta were dominant in Greece, Corinth was right there with them. But then, in about 146 BC, a Roman general came and destroyed Corinth, utterly destroyed the city, and nobody lived there for about a hundred years. In around 44 .BC, Julius Caesar arrives to Corinth and decides to refound the city. He brings people, Roman citizens, there, and it grows again. It has a rebirth, and it begins to thrive. And then for 1,800 years, it has this history of, it's a functioning city, but sometimes it's taken over by different empires, and sometimes it's not doing as well as in other times. And then the 1800s, an earthquake hits, destroys Corinth entirely. And I think at that point, all the people who are still living there said, this ground is cursed. Let's build a city five kilometers over here. So if you go to Corinth today, it's five kilometers away from where the ancient site was. um, Because I think they might have just gotten tired with having to rebuild this city over and over again. But when Paul would have arrived in Corinth, it would have been around 50 AD, 50 to 52 AD. So about 100 years from when Julius Caesar refounded the city. And what Caesar did was effective. When Paul would have arrived there, it was a thriving city. They had all sorts of different ethnicities living there Romans, Greeks, Jews, all were living there. And it was a city that was doing really well by city standards. It had a strong economy. But the other thing about Corinth that's important to know is it was one of the centers of what's called the imperial cult in the Roman era, empire. There was a cult, a religion, that focused on the emperor as a god. And Corinth was devoted to the imperial cult. It's very likely because the city was refounded by Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar was lifted up as the preeminent first god of the emperors. Because Augustus lifted him up as that. So there in Corinth was all sorts of idolatry related to the emperor. That's why in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he focuses a lot on idolatry and on the imperial cult and how the church should interact with the different practices of the imperial cult, like eating food sacrificed to idols. So that's Corinth when Paul would have arrived there. And what Acts tells us is that Paul spent at least a year and a half in the city of Corinth. For at least a year and a half, Paul was there living in this city. When you understand that Paul was there for at least a year and a half, another section says that Paul was there for a considerable amount of time. He wasn't just there for a quick stint. He was there for a significant amount of time. It's surprising to me that in the book of Acts, we get so few stories about Paul's time in Corinth. In fact... In terms of actual developed stories, there's really only one that to me is one of the weirdest stories in the book of Acts, maybe in the Bible. Here's what happens, what we know of Paul's time in Corinth. Paul is there, he's going into the synagogue every single Sabbath, so once a week he's going in and he's debating with people. As he's doing this, some of the Jews there in the synagogue are believing that Jesus is the Messiah and some are not. The ones who aren't get upset with Paul. And they take Paul to a Roman official named Gallio, and they want to put Paul on trial. Now, to this point, the story fits the theme in a lot of stories in Acts. Paul gets put on trial all the time. He's constantly given a defense for himself. I mean, there's at least three different long speeches in Acts of Paul just defending himself. And pretty much any instance, Paul always wants to defend himself. And in this story, we're told Paul is getting ready to defend himself. He's preparing to give his standard speech of his defense, that he's not really doing anything bad. And Acts says, Paul was prepared to defend himself, but then Gallio interrupts, this Roman official. And all he says is essentially, I don't care about any of this. Get out of here. And he just cuts it off. So, The people who want Paul to be on trial, they they agree. They get out of there. And then they beat this guy named Sosthenes for no real reason. We just know Sosthenes gets beaten. That's the story. That's it. That's all we know. In terms of Paul, Times, in Corinth, all we know is that Sosthenes got beat for a random reason that isn't spelled out for us. Here's my challenge to you all if you want some extra homework this week. This is called the Sosthenes challenge, okay? Which, by the way, I wanted Emily to name our second child Sosthenes, but she said no. I'm just kidding. She would have never gone for that. Here's my challenge to you, though. Go read Acts chapter 18. Read this story. And if you can tell me why this is the story that the writer of Acts decided to communicate about Paul's time in Corinth, I will read the best explanation next week in service um, that I get this week. Because for the life of me, I cannot find a good answer as to why out of all of the possible stories, this is the one that wound up in the book of Acts. So if you can figure it out, and I will read the best one, I want you to know I already have some emails from last night. There's some good explanations there that I'm I'm excited about, but you could beat them, beat them. Competition is everything, just kidding. But that's it. Paul's there for a year and a half, and that's the only story we get. Instead, we do get some descriptions, though. While Paul is there, he practices his craft of being a tent maker, And while Paul is there, every single Sabbath, every single week, he goes into the synagogue and he debates. He goes into the synagogue and he tries to help people understand that Jesus is real, that the resurrection was real. You get this picture of Paul in Corinth, where just week in and week out, day after day, he's putting his head down. And he's simply doing what needs to be done. It's not dramatic work. It's not the work that historians are going to write about, obviously, because we don't get anything else in the book of Acts. But that's what Paul's doing here in Corinth for at least a year and a half. It's pretty different than the descriptions of Paul's events in other cities. I mean, go back and look at Paul before Corinth. Look at his story before Corinth. It is full of drama. Paul starts out wanting to persecute the church, and then as he's heading into Damascus to go and to murder Christians, Jesus knocks him to the ground, and Paul does a complete 180. And instead of going around to persecute the church, he goes around to support and build up the church. And then Paul begins this life of travel. Paul traveled an insane amount for somebody in the ancient world. There's one estimate I saw that charted out just the number of miles that Paul traveled. Though he didn't cover the whole world, but the number of miles within the regions he traveled, if you stretched it all out, it would be the same as somebody starting in Jerusalem, walking down to South Africa, and then walking back up again to Jerusalem. And Paul did this walking, or on a cart maybe, maybe on a horse or a donkey, He didn't have cars. He didn't have trains. He didn't have planes. He traveled all over the place. And most of the cities that he traveled to, he ended up having to flee from. If you go back and look at Paul before Corinth, he's running from a lot of these cities because people are picking up stones to throw at him to beat him. In fact, sometimes he is beaten and left for dead. And then he gets back up. (laughs) Paul is put on trial before Corinth. He starts some riots before Corinth. So I get why when Paul gets to Corinth, he might say, look, I need a break. Maybe this was his Sabbath. I don't know, his sabbatical, his vacation. But he gets to Corinth and the pace changes and it's different. He puts his head down for at least a year and a half. He makes tents. He goes into the Sabbath every single week. You could think then that maybe he's deciding to retire, but he leaves Corinth. And Paul, after Corinth, Picks up the pace again. After Corinth, Paul travels some more. He starts a few more riots in different cities. He is arrested, he is beaten, he stands trial multiple times, and he's shipwrecked. All of that takes place after Corinth. So Paul may have got an arrest there in Corinth, but he went right back to the challenges that he had experienced before. When you put all of this together, when you look at Paul's story, and you also see this time in Corinth, I think what you get is a picture of somebody who was willing to do whatever it took to accomplish the task that God had given him, whether that might be enduring some beatings, or traveling a ridiculous amount, or being willing to escape from cities that you've caused riots in, or to stand trial, or to be shipwrecked, or to put your head down, to make tents, to support yourself for a year and a half, to live in the home of some people you don't really know, and to go to the synagogue every single week to help people understand who Jesus was. Whatever it was that Paul was asked to do, he did it. And Paul did it because he believed in the church. That was Paul's Mission. That was Paul's purpose. The church is what drove Paul. That was the purpose God had given him. And Paul was willing to do whatever it took to support the church. Paul had a unique understanding of what the church was, though, and why it was here. For Paul, the purpose of his life wasn't to go around and to make converts. That might surprise you that I said that. That was part of what Paul was doing, but it wasn't just converting individuals to have faith in Jesus that Paul was focused on. We might think of Paul as an evangelist who did that, but that wasn't what he actually did. Paul's real purpose, his focus was not just individual converts, it was communities. Paul would go from city to city to make sure that in each town he went to, there was a community there who believed that Jesus had died, that Jesus had been raised from the dead, and that because of that, we have hope that we will be raised to, that resurrection was true. That was Paul's mission. That was his purpose. That's what he spent his life doing. And that's why he endured all that he endured, was so that more and more people would have hope That death was not the end, that death was not the final answer, but that God had won a victory over death through the cross and resurrection. And Paul wanted there to be communities that could give people a glimpse of the world God was trying to build. In his earthly ministry, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He laid out for his followers a way of living life that focused on loving others more than yourself, on loving your neighbor, which includes your enemies which focused on breaking down the barriers and walls that we put between us. And what Paul understood, I believe, is that while the church is not the kingdom of God, and we have to be very clear about that, the kingdom of God is not built by human hands. God is building the kingdom. The kingdom is breaking in through God's work, not through ours. The church is not the kingdom of God. But the church was there to give people a glimpse of the kingdom of God to point to the work God was doing, and to model God's desires for how human beings are meant to interact with each other so that people who experienced the sadness, the brokenness, the death of this world could have hope that there was something greater to come. That's why Paul focuses so much on the way the churches he founded interact with one another, that they treat each other well, that they don't abuse each other. That they value the image of God in everybody who might become part of that church. Because when we do that, that gives the world hope that human beings do not have to live in the brokenness that we've all experienced and that death doesn't actually win at the end. That drove Paul, that defined his life. And I think for us today, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be part of the church. They go hand in hand because it wasn't that Paul founded the church. Paul didn't invent the church. Paul didn't create the church. He came in at a certain point to support the church, to help the church grow, to do what he could. But the church was founded by Jesus. Jesus established it in his earthly ministry when he pulled together a community of believers, people who understood who he was. And then Jesus was the one who knocked Paul to the ground and said, guess what? Your life is going to be about the church. Jesus is the one who pulls us into the church. Jesus is the one who establishes the church. And if you want to follow Jesus, you can't do it outside of the church. So for each of us, there's an invitation here to come alongside the work that God is doing with the church. And let me just say one thing here. I don't try to second-guess God or question God too much, but I'm naturally a contrarian, so I do. And this is one of the points that I'm going to want to ask God about when we're in glory. Why did you decide to just work with human beings? We don't do a good job at modeling what we're supposed to model. We don't. And we're going to fail. No church is going to be perfect, and that includes this one, by the way. I'm going to disappoint you. Our leadership is going to disappoint you. Pastor Jonathan will disappoint you from time to time. Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll all do it from time to time, not just him. But the church is still important. And with all of that, this is still the way God chose to spread this news of hope and resurrection. And if you're expecting the church to be perfect, you're going to be let down But the fault is yours and yours alone. And I want to be very clear about that. Because from the very get-go, Paul knew these churches are not going to be perfect. Sometimes we can glamorize the New Testament church. We can look back on it and say things were so perfect for them. They had it figured out. The New Testament church was just as human as we are. We know that because Paul writes all these letters telling them all the things they're doing wrong. I mean, the only exception really is the letter to the Philippians where It's all joy, 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 rejoicing, whatever. Go and read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. There's actually two of them. And we have two in the scriptures, but there's evidence that there's as many as four different letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This church that Paul lived there for at least a year and a half, making tents, going to the synagogue, week in and week out, debating, trying to build this church that he spent all this time building was an utter disaster by our standards today. And it's important for us to know that and to acknowledge that because what really stands out is the fact that Paul still never gave up on them. And when I say that they're a disaster, let me tell you specifically what I'm referring to. In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he talks about how the church in Corinth was riven with division. They had factions. Different leaders were saying, or different Christians were saying, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. And Paul has to say to them, no, you all follow Jesus. They are divided. They are broken. In this church, there is sexual immorality that is being accepted. There's actually a case of incest that Paul has to address in this church that apparently had become normalized and okay. Okay. In this church, the Christians are suing each other in civil court to get money from one another. They can't apparently resolve their disagreements, so they're taking each other to court. In this church, people are engaging in idolatry. In the Corinthian church, they had started to abuse people based on communion. They were not letting poor people get communion, but rich people were getting it first, and then the poor people were getting what was left over. They were lifting up some spiritual gifts over others and creating hierarchies that neither Jesus nor Paul ever taught them. And this is the wildest one to me. In the church in Corinth, you had actual Christians who were denying the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. I I can get today how Christians get there. I disagree strongly. I think Christian faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus. But back then, they would have known There was the generation who had seen it, and then other people were coming in, though, saying, I'm still going to be part of this, but I don't really buy it. But Paul has to correct them and say to them, if the resurrection didn't happen, then all of this is foolishness, and we are to be the most pitied, Paul says. When you look at the church in Corinth, it kind of sounds like the church today. Maybe here at Stonebridge we don't deal with all of this stuff, but the church, by and large, is broken. It is messy There is disagreement. There are factions. There's divisions. There's disagreements about what sexual immorality is and what can be accepted or not. There's differences of theology. It sounds like the church today that Paul is writing to. That's kind of just what church is. And let me just say this. If you ever go to a church and they say that everybody agrees on things, just run. Either they're lying to you, so save yourself some time, or it's a cult Or they're lying to you and it is a cult. No matter what, if they say everybody agrees, just run. We're human beings. We're going to disagree, and that's okay. And Paul knew that as he was going about his work. But the most beautiful thing to me about Paul's letters to the Corinthians is that he knew what he was about to write to them. He knew what he was about to say, and at the very beginning of these letters, he still addresses them as the church. He says to the saints in Corinth, to those followers of Jesus there in Corinth, they are still part of the church despite their imperfections because the church is going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect. Don't expect it to ever be perfect. But for whatever reason, this is how God decided to spread the news of hope and resurrection. This is how God decided to let other people know that death has been overcome. And this is the invitation that we are all given now. So, Here's my invitation to all of you. If you've been here at Stonebridge, figure out ways to deepen your connection. Reach out to somebody who isn't as connected as you are. If you're new to Stonebridge or you've been trying us out, accept some of the invitations that we have. We're going to have growth groups coming up here in the fall. Join one of those growth groups. Get to know people here in this church. Deepen your relationships here in this church. Walk alongside other Christians. Support each other in the midst of grief, in the midst of sadness. Rejoice together. Live life together. Join one of those growth groups. And for the introverts out there, just know it's not an indefinite commitment, okay? We have an ending to it, so you're safe. Come and join us for things like the Summer Olympics where you get to watch some people do a bunch of silly stuff, and we get to laugh together. Share food together. When we do simple things like put together gift baskets for kids in the foster care programs, sign up for that. And here's what I want to say so you hear this very clearly. The point here isn't that you just become part of Stonebridge. The point is that you're part of the church. And the church is more than just this congregation. So if you decide that you can't do all of those things, then I want to encourage you to find a church where you can deepen your relationships. Because the point here isn't that we simply just support an institution. The point is that the news of hope and resurrection gets spread to as many people as possible. Not every church is going to be able to meet everybody's needs. So if this isn't your place, find a church that is. Deepen your connections there. Because our lives are meant to be about helping people have hope and sharing that hope of Jesus that we have. That's what the church is here for. And Paul was willing to do whatever it took, whether it was be shipwrecked, whether it was be beaten or arrested, or whether it was something much more simple, something more that I think we are all called to today, which is to practice his craft and to go to the synagogue every single week and to deepen people's hope in Jesus and help them understand who Jesus was. Whatever it was Paul was tasked to do, he did may we follow his example through the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding that this church rests on God's shoulders, and we are invited to be part of it. So may we accept that invitation. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for Paul's example. We know that the church is not perfect, but we know that you're the one who established it, Lord. For whatever reason, you decided that this was the way that hope and resurrection was going to be spread through this world, through your creation. So Lord, we humbly accept that. We know that the church isn't here to meet all of our needs. It's here to help people understand who you are. The church isn't here to meet all of our expectations. It's here so that more people can have a deeper hope in you. We know that you are redeeming this world. We know that resurrection is true, Lord. So help us as a church to spread that news. Knit us together, bind us together so that we can help more people be part of a community that gives them a glimpse of your kingdom, Lord.
0: Hope is safe within your name. This we know, this we know. Promise never to forsake what you begin, you will sustain. This we know, this we know. The place where mercy. Reigns. Going down. at the
2: cross